and I, we were sitting there in the press box talking, and I, I remember us saying, I remember us talking about how this is a big deal. This is going to change things. This is a bigger conversation. So can they be playing these games? Should these fans be in the stands here? Should 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 these things be happening if this is where this is headed? And you know, look at where things went from from there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, and join this week for the final episode of 2020, the final episode of the best podcast in baseball for 2020, the 40th episode. Can you believe that? The 40th episode of this season. So a new high mark for number of episodes in a season. And I believe that this week's guest St. Louis Post-Dispatch Sports columnist Ben Fredrickson has been on, what, 38 of them? Does it feel that way? <laughs> yeah, well, everything about 2020 feels feels like it feels longer than it probably has been. But I would like to congratulate you on almost doing as many podcast episodes as the Cardinals played baseball games. Ooh, I think that's, that's quite great. an achievement. How about that? That's true. 42 episodes this year because there were two before the start of spring training. Hadn't thought about that. 42 episodes of the best podcast in baseball, 58 regular season baseball games. I think you could have, I think you could have stepped it up and, and gone uh, game for game, a by game. Po- usually it's like the football guys, you know, who have the one podcast per game. And usually yeah. it's asking too much of baseball writers to do that. And you don't, you don't really want to analyze baseball in that way, right? It's more of a, there are multiple chapters to the, to the baseball season, but not so much this year. And you produce a lot of podcasts. So I think your goal for 2021 should be to do one per game. If they have a hundred game season, a hundred episodes. Yeah, I think you can do that. And it'll probably be around a hundred games, right? No one is thinking this is going to be a 162 game season. At least I don't think anymore. You know what? Maybe like a five minute podcast, like a quick take. <laughs> like yeah, just on my drive it. home, I can record one and then send <laughs> hey, it. Like Carlos Martinez is ahead of the curve. He films videos in his car all the time. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I would do it safely, you know, but <laughs> yeah. And not in a Lamborghini, which is probably safer. You know what? Strangely enough, I don't have a car right now. <laughs> well, you haven't been having to go very many places. I don't. It's the first time in my adult life that I don't have a car. Like, I don't have a car. Like, I just donated the car. It was like, I don't need this. And so we donated two cars. It's just like, there we go. Now I don't have a car. It's fascinating. You've been walking a lot? I would like to say yes. But no, I just want to say yes. I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> I have been walking. I have been walking a lot. I walk to get things and then I borrow, you know, the wife has a car. So I, I, uh, I borrow her car to, to run errands and stuff if I have to go somewhere. But yeah, it's, it's, it's unreal. Are you going to be like one of those families on the, uh, on the commercials where it's like, I got your Christmas present and it's like a $75,000 GMC truck. I'm like, Oh, what a, what a thoughtful uh, stocking stuffer and how appropriate for, for families that are trying to figure out uh, how to sort out all of this uh, COVID madness and the stress that comes with it. Yeah. Buying two new cars, one for you, one for your spouse. That seems, that seems realistic in 2020. We have recreated the conversation that was on the uh, Saturday night live a few weeks ago, several times in the past week where we were like, 
oh, thank you for making the huge financial decision without <laughs> input from the rest of the house. We have dropped, recreated that conversation. <laughs> I dropped 150 grand on cars. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. We really could use a new furnace, but no, the, the, the car. That's great. That's I don't good. think the Cardinals will be buying uh, will be buying cars for for Christmas. They can't even afford they can't even afford a twelve and a half million dollar option. Apparently, right. I do want to know who got all the Hertz points for forty one rental. <laughs> you would know. You would want to know that. You're probably like trying to angle to see if you can can get a piece. Yeah, no, I don't want somebody. I mean, I somebody, somebody got somebody's driving like first class Escalades for the rest of their lives because of yeah. that trip. I just know how that adds up. And I'm wondering like 41 cars for a day rental. That's quite a bit, you know, that, I wanna, that adds up. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, like who was in charge of actually assigning it? Like who was like, Oh, we have a Mustang. Should we give, Nope. Don't give that to Harrison Bader. Give him the, you know, the van and uh, you know, probably trust like you know, John Brebbia with, uh, with the Mustang. There, you know, there were some decisions being made there when they handed out the keys. Do you think that that, is the image that you'll take away from 2020 of the Cardinals of that caravan of 41 ish cars headed North to Chicago to try to play a game that, that, that 24 36 hours they bought of being apart by having the players drive individually North. That's probably got to be one of the lead snapshots, right? Um, just that, just that kind of grassroots, effort to, to, to resume the baseball season. Um, man, for me, it will be the, the moment that stands out for me will be at Roger Dean stadium sitting there with, with, with Dan McLaughlin in the broadcast booth, because I walked over to see what the heck was going on. You know, are the Cardinals going to play the spring training game? This thing called COVID was sweeping the, the country. Florida's governor had said it, people shouldn't be gathering in groups larger than I think it was like 20 at the time. And meanwhile, meanwhile, there was a, there, yeah, 250. There was a, there was a, a full Roger filling up Roger Dean stadium and yeah. a, tour, a tour of fans going through the press box. And I'm going, what are we doing here? And that to me will jump out. Certainly the trip to Chicago, um, you know, this, the surreal uh, reporting for summer camp coverage at Bush stadium, where, you know, everything you're realizing, everything was going to be on a zoom. Um, how about to me, one of the things as I was going through and looking at, looking at the coverage over the crazy year that was, how about Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright putting on the, the masks yep. on the field to hug one another after Wainwright's right. game on his 39th birthday, that will probably be one of the photos up there as well, too. The awareness to, you know, to pack a <laughs> mask right. because of what was possible. Um, I just think that's that's great court awareness of the moment and how well he was pitching and how important it was for for them to each be aware that they had to take a mask out there, um, you know, if they were going to hug. Yeah, that that to me is probably the like you said, the the, the snapshot or the Polaroid um, that captures the season that. And you know what, to be honest, like Johan Oviedo, right during summer camp where he was wearing there's there's a photo in the paper and I wish I could remember who took the photo. I think it was um Christian Gooden, um, where it was Oviedo and he's wearing a mask and he's got rubber gloves on and he's, you know, holding the baseballs. Right. And it was like, okay, well, there's this young guy trying to be involved, right. Trying to be around. And he was like that at spring training too. Remember he would volunteer to go man the, the, the bucket of baseballs 
for Jose Akendo as he worked with the infielders, Paul DeYoung and Colton Wong. So here's a guy who just wants to be around and has talked about that. And I think it was the next day that he told us about going back to Cuba to spend the time during quarantine and working out on his roof. And I just think of that photo because at that moment, he was the young guy who was trying to help out and just learn what he could for a season that might be lost for him. And then within a month, he was a guy they were calling on to start just to help cover some innings, just to get traction on the season. And and I, I think to, of that as like, okay, well, that, that kind of captured this year in time. Um, were there other, you know, I mean, the bat flip from Fernando Tatis Jr., that that was a moment, um, not not a moment for the Cardinals, but against the Cardinals. Um, and any other ones? I think uh, you have to go with with Yadier Molina's two thousand hit. That oh was a, yeah, that was call. a moment. Um, Dylan Carlson catching double headers, catching all yeah. innings of, of a double header. Dylan Carlson's um, debut and also postseason um, emergence um, yeah. the game that he had, I think, was was pretty big. Um, but you know, it's it's strange because there are there were baseball like pure baseball moments. Um, but there were also there were way more moments that were that were non baseball moments, like this collision of of baseball and what was really going on in our country. I mean, whether it was COVID or 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 other conversations. I mean, how about the Cardinals and their the you know the fact that they had the display for unity um, wearing Black Lives Matter shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Jack Flaherty and Dexter Fowler decide not to play on Jackie Robinson Day. Um, I mean, there was a lot happening and I tried to, you know, you and I are both kind of, we've worked through our, our assignments for our kind of end of year packaging at the post dispatch. And you were breaking down the the top five Cardinal stories, which is kind of always like trying to shoehorn, you know, a mass of, of, of things into, into five spots. And I was kind of doing the same on the, the top 10 stories of the year. And of course there's overlap. I mean, the deaths of, of, of Bob, of Bob Gibson and Lou Brock, um, certainly has to be to be mentioned in there. Um, and you had all these you had it was always kind of this tug, this tug of war. And I'm sure it was for you, too, is like, how much do you focus on the, the moments that distracted us from the chaos that was 2020? And how much do you focus on the moments we were reminded that sports can't always be that distraction? Um, because we saw some of both. Um, and it was we saw some of both good and bad. Right. Um, there were mm-hmm. moments where you got God, thank thank goodness there are sports to provide some levity and provide some entertainment and provide some distraction. And then there are moments where you go, it can't always be this alternate universe where things that are happening in the real world don't bleed in. So there was a big mix, I think, um, and, and perhaps as much off the field impact on the game as we'll probably ever see, at least I hope. Yeah. I mean, that's very true. The, you touched on the assignment that we were given. We were each given, every, every one of the beat writers was asked to come up with the five top stories on their beat. And it was tricky because it was like, well, is that on the field, off the field? Is it where off the field met on the field? And that was going to be, that's going to be the purpose of this podcast. I, I wanted to talk with you through the five that I picked and already I'm having second thoughts. So we will get to that. After I tell people about our sponsor, imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. That's 1-800-BYDESIGN, 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. 
We'll also close too, like with some upbeat stories. I, I, I'll just get you thinking now, Ben, about maybe some of the more lighthearted moments because there were a few weeks of spring training before it all came to a sudden halt and the entire world was turned upside down. So, you know, think about that as we go through this and we'll, we'll close with that something upbeat um, to, uh, to kind of send us off into the, into the next year. We'll work from five down to one as we talk through this. So for the fifth story, I chose Colton Wong having his option not picked up. $12.5 million option the Cardinals had for him for 2021. It's the final year that he had on an extension he signed several years ago. Um, you know, here's a young man who obviously debuted 13, was a gold glove winner by 2019, won his second consecutive gold glove 2020. In a lot of ways, was one of their better offensive performers over the last year and a half. Um, you know, has created a, a role for himself offensively. Um, moved his way in the leadoff spot this year, but it also, you know, that's a story because of what it signaled. And to me, it signaled a freezing winter ahead. Yeah, he was a microcosm of of what we were about to see, and and it certainly turned out that way. I think in a normal in a normal baseball offseason, Colton Wong's option is probably picked up, uh, no questions asked, because of what this team values. And, you know, they they take pride in, in, in suppressing runs. He's the best active defensive second baseman in baseball, two-time gold glove winner, who had really kind of come into his own, I think, as a as a player. Colton has, has it figured out now of what he is and isn't offensively. He did have a down season in 2020, but if you look at the past couple seasons and compare it to second baseman, he's a perfectly fine, um, you know, hitter for a second baseman on top of an elite glove for a team that really values its middle of the field defense. So for the Cardinals to make that decision so quickly and seemingly without a lot of debate, uh, I think it is absolutely a sign for where they're headed, which is trying to look at ways to both maybe create an uptick in offense and power with also not spending, um, you know, it's not spending a lot of money, um, but also the, the game in general in which some of these options that used to be no brainers are now going to be viewed very skeptically. And some teams have, have, have really shown that, that they're not, they're not good with, with picking those up like they used to be because of what they, they see coming. And it's a couple things, right? It's the, it's the, the financial impact of the, of the coronavirus season, um, not having fans in the stands, not knowing what 2021 looks like. But I think it's also, too, a sign of probably what's coming with the collective bargaining agreement, where we continue to see this real digging into the trenches between players and owners about how this revenue pie will be split up after the 2021 season, no matter what it looks like. There are hard lines being taken, and the owners are saying there's, you know, they can't keep doing business like this. And the players are saying, what do you mean? We want to, we want to get a bigger piece of the pie, not, not less. And we're seeing, we're seeing that really play out here before the, before the talks about what after 2020, 21 even get started. To me, it also spoke to the fact that teams will view contracts, whether it's ones that they signed or ones other teams signed through a prism of yesterday's dollars. Yeah. Like those, you know, whether you're talking about Colton Wong's option or Aaron Otto's deal or even some of the arbitration platforms that players had that led to like being non-tendered, for example, like a David Dahl or like 
a Kyle Schwarber is a great example of this, where it, teams were like, yeah, those are yesterday dollars and the market has changed and that level of production can be had cheaper. There's a, there, Colton Wong it personifies that as well, where, you know, these things that the Cardinals valued and actually put dollar value on, you know, homegrown players, keeping their own, signing them, you know, into their peak years. All of a sudden, those became less valuable when a market was going to suppress what that kind of production could 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 you know bring you right. So the Cardinals see twelve and a half million, one million dollar buyout, eleven and a half, and they go, "Well, we're not, we may not get a better player, but it goes back to that notion that we've talked about before. We can get a better value, and you might even line up the same amount of production at a third of that cost or." A tenth of that cost, if you turn to, uh, you know, a, a player with zero to three uh, years of service time. So, I think that's that was the lesson from Wong, and the Cardinals' decision there, that also gave you an idea of how they looked at trades and how other teams would look at trades. That like an Arenado deal, that's yesterday's dollars, and no one wants to take that on. Or the arbitration thing, where well, that's set on yesterday's dollars. Now we're in a new world order, and that kind of you know player, that kind of control, that those kind of years, they can be had for cheaper. I wonder too if this in the future is viewed as maybe the Cardinals changing to some degree their stance on some of this legacy player conversation. Mm. Um, the Cardinals are in an interesting spot in this new climate where. They have the pressure to bring back both Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, who are both free agents, and the pressure of having given Matt Carpenter that early um, legacy-type extension um, when they didn't have to. Um, and now we're kind of trying to figure out where to stand on how they pursue Wainwright and Molina after having given that contract to Carpenter, which is viewed, you know, if viewed with through the yesterday's dollars lens, certainly would not have been given. Um, even if the performance of Carpenter was not as disappointing as it has been since he received it. Um, but I wonder if we're going to see the Cardinals take a longer look and maybe kind of alter their stance on on this idea that they've got to keep players who have played for a long time in a Cardinals uniform. Um, Wong would have been one of those players who could have, the Cardinals could have justified picking up the option because they felt like, hey, he was a prospect. He came up through the ranks. He found his footing. He emerged as a gold glove winning second baseman. He has a relationship with fans. Fans like Colton Wong. They're wowed by his play defensively at second base. He's a kind of a, he, he was certainly a face of the team. And mm -hmm. instead of justifying, finding reasons to justify why he needs to stick around, they were quick to turn the page. And I just wonder if we're going to see the Cardinals maybe take a more modern approach. Now, I don't think they'll do it after. I don't think they'll do it before Wainwright and Molina. I don't think they should. At least that's going to be a hard. That would be a hard thing to justify. But after Wainwright and Molina, they might. We might hear a different tune from them on some of these decisions. We'll see if those two uh, crack the list. But you know, Wong was a harbinger of the winter ahead, and there has been nothing in the past few months, and probably nothing in the coming weeks, to deter how he is an example or was an early. I guess what what's the for canary in the coal mine for this this frigid approach and and really the cardinals um sluggish even frozen uh you know action this off season you know they're they're saying that january is the new december i mean maybe it you know they, it's not like they're they're racing towards new year with a whole lot of more answers than they had on december 1st so right 
Can they figure out, for God's sake, if there's going to be a designated hitter in the yeah. National League for Christmas? Can that be a gift? Good Lord. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, all I want for Christmas is a, a universal DH. Is that what you're saying? I just want an answer on it. I mean, yeah, I want it. I know a lot of people don't. And and okay, but this, but make a decision already. I mean, how, you think that if there is one thing these two sides can agree on, it's that they need to have an answer when it comes to teams knowing what kind of lineup they have to build and also players knowing what kind of offer they they have to accept. It, it would benefit both of them to have an answer, whether it's yes or no. You, you said it well, though. You you kind of spoke to the fact that even something they agree on, they can't agree on. Exactly. It's, that's that's where things are, folks. And, and that is an appetizer for what will probably be the biggest story in baseball after the 2021 season. It's what happens now. Right, right. Number four on the list was former Cardinals flexing, and it was hard to uh, look at uh, any of the playoff games in October or any of the leaderboards for the 60-game season and not see former Cardinals. Uh, Luke Voigt, former Cardinal, leads the American League in home runs, 22. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, people like forget this, right? But he was really close to a triple crown in the National League. Oh, and he becomes the first National Leaguer ever to win the DH award. So the DH of the year award was a National Leaguer this year, and it was Marcelo Zuna, um, just a few points behind in the batting average, but leads the National League in home runs and RBIs. And then come the postseason, Randy Orozarena takes off and hits a home run in game six against the Dodgers and breaks David Fries' total base record for the postseason, sets home run and hits records, and he'll still be a rookie in 2021 so those performances not just because of those performances but because of the message sent to the cardinals that they need to rethink how they are unlocking talent and do a deep audit of their development Uh, i know that the maybe this is where you and i might part ways i know the fans and a lot of the emails i get focus on the evaluation of the talent i I, uh, I'm not, I don't know if that's the right word because they had the talent. They evaluated them. They, they acquired these players. They chased them. They promoted them. Um, but they never got this same production from them. And to me, that's not a question of evaluation. That's a question of development and of coaching. I think it's, to me, it's two things. It's, it's coaching and also projecting. Um, you know, the Cardinals, they gave Randy Rosarena a shot and all he did in that shot was scream that he needed more of a shot. And then that didn't come. And why didn't it come? Well, because they thought they had outfielders ahead of him in their system. They thought Tyler O'Neill and, and, and Lane Thomas and Harrison Bader were the guys to bet on, which justified them moving a Rosarena in a trade. And that doesn't mean that Matthew Libertor won't be a great pitcher. You know, by all accounts, he had a great spring and in, in, in a great uh, alternative camp in Springfield. And who mm-hmm. knows if he's a frontline starter and, and Rosarina doesn't play well in the future, then, you know, we can't grade this trade yet. We can take an early grade and it looks like the Cardinals had their outfield rankings screwed up. And they've admitted as much that, that it looks like that right now. With That's projection, right? With Luke Voigt, it's maybe it's a little harder you know, he was, he clearly, I don't think, you know, anyone's upset that, that Paul Goldschmidt is playing first base, but looking back, you know, with, 
with Jose Martinez getting a lot of reps at first base and maybe, you know, the, the short-term fix that that was going to be, even if it did work out, although it was terrible for the defense, maybe they could have found more opportunity for Luke Voigt. Seemingly the, the Yankees saw something in Voigt that the Cardinals didn't see. Um, they got the Cardinals got a good pitcher in Giovanni Gallegos for Voigt, but that's not a trade that you make if you know Voigt's going to do what he's done, what he's done since he put on pinstripes. And mm-hmm. then it's for Ozuna, it's coaching, right? Like they gave Marcelo Ozuna plenty of chances. He played all the time. It's not like he didn't get an opportunity. And no one, other than to his credit, Mike Schilt was kind of voicing frustration when the Cardinals were just seemingly happy to let Marcelo Ozuna walk in free agency because he had been so streaky. But he was, he's been a better hitter in Atlanta. So what is it? Is it constru- roster construction where he has a lineup around him, which takes pressure off of him, perhaps? Was it a swing, you know, something with the, in the, with the batting coaches or with the analytics and with the Braves that helped him kind of get back to the guy he had been at his best in, in Miami? It's, it's, not, it's never really one thing. But clearly there's two things that are, seem to be standing out. One, the Cardinals, a team that has really been so good at knowing what it has in-house, and it being the team that gets someone else's, you know, I guess, castaway players and turns them into treasures, they're now having it done against them. And we're not used to seeing that. They've got to try to figure that out. And B, the other thing I think is they look at what they're doing to help or or not help the hitters they have. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Jeff Albert. The Cardinals have a lot of confidence in him, but the results right now, they're not there through two seasons. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on there to be better results in the third. Um, but you know, they can't get to where they want to go if they're misreading their own players for a draft and develop team. That is, that is kryptonite. That, well, that's, that's really well said. And you know, I, the part about Azuna that's interesting, I mean, he was hurt. And so that has to be baked into that, right? Like what level, uh, did the shoulder play in that? You're right. He did not lack for opportunities. He had a long-term lease on the cleanup spot, even when he struggled, no one in baseball from 2018 to 2019 had more at bats in the cleanup spot for their team than Marcelo Zuna. And yet he was really, really below average in production for a cleanup spot. Um, you know, he brought maybe name brand value to it, but the production wasn't there. How much of that was related to the shoulder? How much of that was related to, you know, trying to get his fitness up? How much of that was not a factor for Atlanta because he didn't have to play the first 120 games, right. you know, or games, I guess I should say, you know, so he got to rest. He got, he got months off with Atlanta that would not have been possible for the Cardinals to give him, um, nor would he have accepted them. I mean, he played through injury. That was something that he did. He played through soreness because he felt like he could will himself or, or muscle himself to, to production. So that has to be part of the conversation, but you're right. I mean, this, this is a, this is a time with reduced spending, with reduced revenues, um, and with increased needs for offense for a team that has a keen eye, not just for acquisition, but for accessing talent to shine. And these are examples of how the Cardinals have not been able to do that. Uh, and now it, it, it's more valuable than ever. It's more essential than ever if they're going to upgrade the offense they need to be able to spot someone who can produce beyond their salary and they got to find a way to unlock it yeah and and the best way to do it if the cardinals want to continue to evaluate their outfield options um, without making a change in the outfield which that seems to be what they're saying we'll see if that tune changes would be to do it at the dh spot 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, Brad Miller had a good run, but then completely tanked um, toward the end of the season. There's going to be so many more affordable options that should be more proven. Picking the right one um, is going to be the Cardinals' challenge, and they should they should accept that challenge. If they don't, then then they're going to have a tough time explaining how they're trying to be competitive this year. But you're right. I mean, I think, you know, there's so much talk about what the Cardinals spend or don't spend. The talk should be turning more toward the decisions they make that are not related to money, but in terms of evaluating talent, slotting it in the right position within their system, and also getting the most out of it when they have access to it. Um, Those are the questions that I think are more damning for the Cardinals than, you know, analysis of their payroll. They're spending um, you know, we'll see what they do this offseason. They have spent competitively, but they have not gotten good returns on some of their decisions. The third story on the list was the icons lost. Uh, spent about, you know, the most the most recent episode of the best podcast in baseball, which I urge people to go back and listen to if they have not, is a conversation with Hall of Fame writer Rick Hummel about the passing of Bob Gibson and Lou Brock. Uh, both late in the year, Bob Gibson died on the same night that the Cardinals played their final game in San Diego. You know, that's a conversation that, that Rick is best to give because he can tell such stories about players that he covered and, and hall of famers who became friends of his and urge people to go back and listen to that. What, what was that night like for you at San Diego to watch the players reaction? Um, Because for me, it was not wanting to be the one that told them. Um, and I was really aware that they should probably not hear from me, um, what had happened that they needed to hear from somebody else. So, um, and then of course the, the, the players, you know, with, with Yadier Molina in tears, Jack Flaherty clearly, um, moved by, you know, the death, but also describing what getting a message from Gibson, um, just not, not that same day, but leading into the playoffs and, what that meant to him as he took the mound. What was that like for you? Well, I'll never forget that night because that was probably as close to simply just walking away <laughs> from my computer as I and just leaving as I as it's been. I mean, that game it was it, it was. I mean, I remember it vividly. On deadline, um, the Cardinals. You're writing. You're trying to write something that the Cardinals say. This is this is the end of season. Um, column and it's been this crazy bizarre season and now you know the cardinals were in a good spot in san diego the bottom drops out the bullpen game ruins them and then as the deadline is arriving the news comes that that bob gibson has has died and immediately what you thought was a very important story doesn't matter really i mean in the grand scheme of things it's it's just completely tiny and you really saw that when you know you were you were sitting next to me, socially distanced, and your Zoom is up, and Yadier Molina is crying, and it's like, oh, he's not, no, he's not crying because they lost the series. He's crying because Bob Gibson is gone, and just the timing of it, the the proximity of it to, you know, the death of, of Lou Brock, it was, it was, oh, it was borderline overwhelming, um, and you just tried to do the best you could in the moment, and then you, of course you know, thank God we had Rick and, 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 the, and the institutional knowledge in, in, in your hand. And we figured it out, but it was just, it was, it was, it was unforgettable. And it was the kind of death that makes a, a playoff loss series loss look small and very, there aren't a lot of things that, that can make that kind of a, a bottom note of the day. 
in mm-hmm. St. Louis, but it was. And um, it was powerful to hear those guys talk about what those guys meant to them. Um, it was powerful to hear at Lou Brock's service the words that Bob Gibson sent Tazi Smith to read. Um, that, you know, knowing in hindsight, the sh- you know, the state that, that Bob Gibson was in, I mean, he wasn't far away from his time and he was, he was putting this heartfelt message about his teammate to send Ozzie Smith. And um, Mm -hmm. I just think about, it it made me think a lot about the things that we missed this year. And one of the things that we miss is kind of that communal, you know, experience at the ballpark. And, you know, that we missed the opening day where, you know, the the Redcoats are are there and and that living history is on the field. And then, you know, to, to, to know what that's going to look like when we can do it again, when St. Louis can celebrate an opening day again, it's going to look a lot different. And I think that will almost be the moment where it, where it really hits everyone and it, and, and really sinks in. It will be both sad, but also probably a moment for closure too. But it was, it was, it was heavy, man. And you're talking about two icons in a year that, you know, baseball lost a lot of icons. I mean, as Rick said, I was talking to Rick the other day, um, you know, you could put together a pretty good team of, of baseball heroes who have been lost this year. And uh, it's in St. Louis, St. Louis provided two of the best ones. Dick Allen also played for the Cardinals in an all-star year. Then of course you had Tom Seaver. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It it was a hard year for St. Louis sports in general. Um, You know, Jim Hannafin and, and Kevin Green, Kevin Green. It goes on and on. And it is, it, it, those guys are obviously the headliners because of St. Louis's love with, with Cardinals baseball and the relationship that they kept with the team. But yeah. that was, that was kind of what struck me just the, this year, the heaviness of it, but also to a celebration of, of two incredible lives <laughs> talking about guys who, who overcame so much. I mean, the, 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 Lou Brock story of, of, you know, him kind of stumbling into a baseball tryout at Southern yeah. and, and, and from what he, from what came of that, obviously one of the best trades of, of, of baseball all time, going back and having, seeing, I think a younger generation of fans experience Bob Gibson's stats. That's always yeah. fun, right? When they realize, wait, he did what? Yeah. They did what to combat it? I mean, it, it was you know, that's the, the, the upshot of this is those lessons, those guys' stories have to be kept alive and they have to be continue to be told. And I think they will be, and certainly the Cardinals will do, will do a good job of that. But also too, what stuck out to me was the relationship they continued to have. They were yeah. not great players of the past. They were living legends who had relationships with current players. Walking Rock would go to spring training and teach guys how to steal bases. Bob Gibson would email Jack Flaherty about his pitching. Um, they, mm-hmm. they, they had a continued investment with the team, and that really showed um, based off the responses we saw from the players. Yeah, to me, that's what I spent a lot of time thinking about and wanted to kind of capture in this top five list was that, you know, they, they shaped a lot of what we think of as modern Cardinals. Uh, you know, whether it's their expectations, whether it's their own individual performance, um, whether it's their October performance, whether it's Bob Gibson's grit or Lou Brock's, um, you know, charity. Uh, he was he, he was a guy who just wanted to engage in the community and talk with anybody who was there. And Gibson was happy to play the 
part of being the great intimidator, but he could be as warm and as, you know, confidence building as a player needed. Um, Watching Bob Gibson the first day that he got to meet Dexter Fowler was a remarkable moment just to watch those two talk, um, have Bob Gibson welcome, you know, Dexter Fowler to the Cardinals after signing and just to see the, the warmth of their interaction that to me, you know, captured a lot of what Bob Gibson and Lou Brock inherited and then made better. You know, they were stewards of the Cardinals and I'm eager to see, how their legacy continues, um, which brings us to number two, because the defining pitcher and the defining position player, um, similar to Gibson and Brock of this era, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, and they're both free agents. As we're recording this, as you know, the holiday week arrives here, uh, they're free agents. As the new year approaches, they're free agents, and they could go elsewhere. Um, they, like Gibson and Brock, have set a standard that will carry on beyond their, beyond their playing days. But what will it be like without them? And that was the second story, or number two on my list, counting down from five, was Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina proving, underscoring how essential they are during that shortened season, particularly Wainwright, but also what's it going to be like if they're not around man that is something that a lot of people don't like to to think about and in 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 normal times it would not it would be a non-starter although i don't think anyone can make completely sound predictions as to what the 2020 offseason is in baseball is going to look like and i think we said on a podcast a while back i said the one thing that that could send this thing sideways is if yadier molina gets to the point where he feels like he's being disrespected by the Cardinals and we throw that word around and some, usually it's nonsense. Um, oftentimes it's, it's purely about money, but Molina is the kind of player who that means a lot to him. And, mm-hmm. and if he feels like the Cardinals are slow playing him or, or, you know, being, you know, being disingenuous with the timeline, then he'll start to, to, to kind of push back. And we've seen some of that, right. We've seen him, um, you know, throw some things out on Instagram, taking suggestions, which teams, he's going to play for. We've heard of potential interest in Wainwright from the Braves who have since made other moves, or maybe the Royals who, you know, would reunite him with, with former manager Mike Matheny. Um, And to me, it's just kind of surreal to see these stories. I still think that this is a scenario in which the Cardinals realize that, you know, they, they can't really let these guys go unless it's just for some sort of offer they can't match, which I think is probably unrealistic. I think the Cardinals have to value these players more than any other team would. They certainly should. Um, and they also showed that they've got gas left in the tank. Adam Wainwright was this team's you know, most reliable pitcher last year. Yadier Molina, while not the, the hitter that he once was, was the team's clearly the team's best hitter in the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. So a short-term deal on a contract that makes sense, I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable. And I think, honestly, the Cardinals need to think about giving fans a reason to want to get back to the ballpark in 2021 if and when they they are allowed. So it's surreal for me to think about it not happening. Could it happen? Yes. And every day that it goes by without happening probably makes it some degree more likely that it, that it could happen with these guys going elsewhere. Uh, what will the team look like without them? 
that's a great question. We don't know because the team would not have a a true and proven leader. It would not have a a true and proven direction, really. Um, the Cardinals have already kind of cut to their defense first mentality um, by by letting Colton Wong walk. I don't expect yeah. him to be back. By letting their defensive coordinator walk in Yadier Molina, are you really a defense first team anymore? I don't think so. Um, what about your your strength in pitching? Okay, the shepherd of that group would be gone too. So I think it would look like a really kind of aimless Cardinals team without these two. Yeah, they'd 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 miss their compasses. Yeah, <laughs> your 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 really you you would, what would your direction be? You would, you would be you would be a team that is waiting to get a new direction in twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. Two quick questions on that. You you mentioned that the Cardinals need to do something to bring the fans back. What do you think would do more? Bringing back Wainwright and Molina and tugging on nostalgia, or bringing in? a new player with some name recognition, which would draw people to the, to the, to the field more. Um, I think it would probably depend on the, on the player. Um, Arenado. Okay. I can, we can have that discussion. Um, I don't think that's realistic. If it's right. a, if it's a guy, I think you'd be better off going with the, going with the, you know, the guys in Wayno and Yachty that people love and have their, their uniforms in the closet. I, 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 th- here's my thing i've yet to see someone explain to me why someone who understands you know the financial situation is not being unrealistic about it cannot expect the cardinals to find reasonable ways to give yadier molina and adam wainwright a chance to finish their season with the team and also find some sort of way to upgrade this lineup um i don't are those unrealistic expectations no. for both? Um, and I, I'm not, I don't mean go, you know, swing a deal for Arenado and bring back Molina and Wainwright and go get Mike Trout. And I, I'm being realistic, but there are going to be affordable ways to upgrade this offense that don't include a massive, a massive expenditure. There are maybe trades that could be, that could be made. But to me, I, I've heard that, and that's not exactly how you phrase it, but I've heard this question of, well, should they bring back Yachty and Wainwright or should they try to improve the offense? And again, I think my answer will be oh, both. both. <laughs> I think they should do both and, both, and, and do so without, yeah. you know, I get it. Like 2022 will be the year where the Cardinals look different. Um, they've got cut money coming off the books. There will I be a new CBA in place. Let's assuming there's not a work stoppage. Um, you know, Carpenter and Fowler will, will, will be off the books and they can do different things. They've got this wave of prospects coming in, in Gorman and, and, and they're excited about Libertor, and I get it. But, you know, they've never been a team that's like, okay, well, we're just going to not try to get any better. And, you know, we, they can still eye 2022 as a way to to take a leap, but mm-hmm. that still doesn't give them a pass for trying to get better from 2021 after 2020. I mean, the Cardinals have always said they're they're going to try to find a way to put the best team on the field they can within their limitations every season. And I don't think they, I don't think that, that that gets a chance. I don't think that they get a free pass for, for just abandoning that for 2021. Yeah. I just was trying to, you know, drill down on the, the kind of nebulous notion of what would satisfy fans. There, there's some seem to be, you know, camps where they want, you know, Wainwright and Molina back. And then there's the other camp that says, give us something fresh, something new to root for right. um, electric. And, and I, I don't know, maybe, 
maybe the you know if they could do both obviously that would satisfy both groups but i just don't know which one is more desirable to the fans if i had a mvp ballot this year um i did fill one out um and i had wainwright 10th um for my national league mvp and i think you can make a case that he was the mvp of the team for what he did you want to push back on that i mean his his complete game when the team needed it pitching on you know with no preparation as they emerged from uh, the quarantine, not missing a start, not missing really an inning that they would have given him. Um, and just the, the, the stability that he brought to a team that ultimately did have a winning record, I thought stood out this past year. Do you, do you take issue with that? No, I like that. Um, he was their stopper. Every time they were veering toward the cliff, he found a way to put them back on the right side. He had big big and he had big moments. He had, he had innings. <laughs> um, and that's the kind of the thing is, you know the Cardinals know what Adam Wainwright is when he's healthy. They need they they need him in the rotation next season. It's yeah. not just a matter of oh that'll be great in nostalgia tour. No, he's with with uncertainty over Miles Michaelis with with Dakota Hudson out for the season with Tommy John with a lot of these young exciting pitchers. You know, having plenty of talent but no experience, there really isn't a better guy for that group than, well, Adam Wainwright, but also Yadier Molina. <laughs> so th- this notion that they, that they can't, you know, help this team be better in, in 2020 was something that I don't, I don't get that, hear that from some and, and I don't understand that. Yeah. Yadier Molina should not be a middle of the order hitter. Um, but that's not as much Yadier Molina's fault as it is the fact that they don't have middle of the order hitters, mm-hmm. um, you know, for Yadier Molina, for people to say, well, Yadier Molina doesn't shouldn't be hitting there. Okay, move him down, but move him down for who? Um, you know, he had a better OPS than Tyler O'Neill, who was supposed to be the middle of the order answer for this team last season. So, you know, some of that is who you add around these guys. Um, no, Yadier Molina is not supposed to be your middle of the order hitter, and he's not going to make twenty million like he did on his contract. Um, but it, shouldn't the Cardinals be more willing to give him, um, you know, more than another team that is not? benefited from his expertise but also the expertise he still has with the pitchers with the defense um you know in managing that staff and helping call the games i don't know i i think these guys can add a lot to this team in in 2021 so with wainwright and molina um i i think there is i think there's more competitive advantage to bringing them back than simply you know it being something that fires people up but also that shouldn't be ignored either you know I asked Mo on one of the recent Zooms, hey, are you guys are talking a lot about, you know, knowing how many fans have to be in the stadium in order to figure out your payroll. At what point is there a conversation of what kind of product you guys need to put on the field in order to have people want to come be in the stands? And I think the Cardinals might be, you know, they might be a little out of touch sometimes recently when it comes to how kind of unenthused some people are about this product. It's not just the the folks who want to fire everybody and and who are never going to be satisfied. I think there are some real legitimate and, and rational fans who are kind of going, okay, we get that these are trying times, but this is still Cardinals baseball. And this team doesn't exactly sound like one all the time at this off season. Yeah. I mean, you touched on sort of right the contrasts of this off season, right? Where there are so many free agents that supply outstrips demand and therefore the price could fall. And in some ways the Cardinals are banking on the fact that they won't be able to sell a full house. So demand for tickets will 
you know, outpace supply for the moment, but that might be taking something for granted if they don't put a good product on the field. So many of these things that we talked about in the top four, Ben, kind of set the stage for 2021. And I had that sense as I went through them, you know, that's a lot of the big stories of 2020 also are early candidates to be the big stories of 2021. Um, you know, not on this list as we get to number one was something that I know that you'll write about where it's the players finding their their voice on social justice issues and sort of breaking from the the buttoned up traditional, um, you know, even, I guess, what would it be? Um, attitude of baseball to take a stand and in some ways uh, or sometimes take a walk or other times take a knee. Um, you know, there was the the real clumsy coordinated effort to take a knee before the opening game um, that the, you know, that the Cardinals had there at Bush Stadium. But there were the players like Dexter Fowler and Jack Flaherty choosing not to play, choosing not to play a game as protests, joining with other full teams um, and recognizing that they put their teammates in a bad spot by making that call right before the game. There were players um, at the ballpark and, and to be honest, some media members too, who donated their salaries from Jackie Robinson to local charities or to local efforts um, for social justice or for places that are, are helping the city. Um, so there were moments like that. That didn't make my top five. Um, probably maybe should have, I don't know. Um, I kind of, you know, I know that you were going to touch on that. So it seemed like a larger story beyond just the Cardinals. Well, we saw it across sports. I mean, everything from NASCAR deciding to ban the Confederate flag at its at its races to the 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 NBA, you know, postponing um, some of its its playoff games. Um, the WNBA really was the lead on a lot of this stuff. Um, and, and even it's even continued right, right through earlier this month. Um, the players, the players uh, alliance semi truck rolls through St. Louis and helps serve some underserved areas with everything from COVID protective gear to baseball gear specifically funded by those checks that some players donated to the players Alliance when they didn't play on Jackie Robinson day, including Dexter Fowler and, and Jack Flaherty. So I think it was, that's kind of when we started and I started talking about moments that reminded us that sports aren't just a distraction. This is not historic in the sense that there've been so many times over the course of sports in society where these overlaps have occurred and every time it turns into, well, this shouldn't happen. Well, it happens and it's going to keep happening. And, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, the, the fact that people get frustrated by it one way or the other is forgotten. The fact that it's happened many times before and will happen many times in the future, but it, it did feel like a moment. I mean, you had the blues and, and Cardinals come together to release a statement that, you know, denounced racism. You had everything from, the Missouri um, football and, and basketball players helping lead a, a march for social justice in Columbia. It started a, a voter registration drive. Right. Athletes, um, SLU is playing basketball this season with a unity patch on its uniform. Um, there were, I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting countless examples here, but it was a cross sports thing. It wasn't just the Cardinals, um, but they were right in the center of it as they often are when we discuss the St. Louis sports year. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully the upshot of it is that people were maybe more aware of some of the conversation that, that these guys are having some of the things these guys have, have, have been through 
Um, just because they get paid a lot of money to play baseball doesn't mean they're immune to some of the things that are that are not good about our country that need to improve. So I hope it was a positive thing. Um, there will always be there will always be negative moments of any positive change, but I think you know I got to commend the Cardinals for engaging in the discussion for a buttoned-up sport that, you know, is, is often, you know, can be described as a button-up franchise. I think they had their guys back, and, and I think that was the right thing to do. Number one on my list of the top five stories is as predictable as all predictable get-out. Um, you know, anytime... <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, anytime the biggest story in the world, the biggest story in the country collides with the beat, it's the biggest story of the year, and that is the Cardinals' outbreak the going into quarantine in Milwaukee, the second wave, um, and then their emergence from it to still be a winning team, find a way into the playoffs, um, to be able to negotiate all the hurdles that were put in front of them that included bringing players back from, you know, from a COVID-19 infection to using 13 players making their MLD, uh, MLB debut, nine in one weekend, more than 20 pitchers used, going through 11 double headers, all of that. Um, where at the collision of the Cardinals and the coronavirus, that's the top story of the year. But it was also how they showed a way out of it that really highlighted that that being the biggest story of the year. They were able yeah. to overcome, find a way to thrive, improvise, and do things. Not maybe that they didn't, you know, they never had the team they imagined. They certainly didn't have the season that they imagined. Uh, and still to find a way into the playoffs, there's there's a lesson there. Yeah, I mean, figuring out a way to to overcome what what seemed at the time to be close to a complete shutdown. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was the right pick. And I, I don't, spoiler alert uh, for me too. I, I had to pick it for my number one story in St. Louis sports in general, as every team clashed with this thing. Uh, you know, the SLU women's basketball team has been through two 14 day pauses um, because of COVID. You know, and, and there were a time when the Cardinals shutdown was like above the fold national news. Yeah. And now these are happening all over the place and we don't even skip a beat in talking about it. They were kind of one of the first, other than the Marlins, which don't get a ton of attention, they were really the first name brand team in the midst of a season to deal with this kind of an outbreak. And they went through the typical COVID shaming and and all this stuff. And now that discussion has changed so much. I don't know what is right and what is wrong, <laughs> but it just seems like, um, it seems like it, it's crazy to go back and listen to some of the things that were said about the Cardinals then compared to what would be said about a team that experiences that now. So that made yeah. it a big deal. Um, how they fought back from it, I think is, is not to be missed. I mean, they were probably a couple positive cases away from having their entire season scrapped. They find a way to come back and play a gauntlet of games um, with a with a ragtag roster and a ton of transactions, and they find a way to get into the to the playoffs. Which you know, I know no one was happy with the results when they got there, but the fact that they did it, I think I still think was pretty impressive. I wrote when they came back, if this team makes the postseason with what's in front of it, it'll be pretty impressive. And it and I think it still was. Um, now, do they need to do things to get better? Clearly, yes, the offense has got to improve, um, and there are questions beyond that. And we talked about the guys who succeeded elsewhere this season, but the fact that this team didn't spit the bit is pretty impressive, considering the fact that they were, you know, at one point throwing baseballs in the pillows in the haunted Fisker Hotel. It's pr- pretty wild, and I do think it's the story of their season. 
I think it has to be. And, and uh, it, it's good on you to point out that it wasn't just that they got smacked with this virus. It was that they found a way to pick up the pieces and, and move forward from it. That, yeah. It, the, the, and that they kind of offered up a bit of a metaphor too, right? I mean, look, they got hit with a second wave. Um, look, their habits around the ballpark were lax. And once yeah. the virus got in, it spread fast. What does that sound like? America? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a microcosm of everything that 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 we've experienced you know all of a sudden the cardinals go from you don't re- you rarely saw a mask on the zoom to them wearing masks everywhere um you know i mean that they're there and and what they learned about the virus along the way even to the point where you talked to lane thomas at the end of it about the lingering effects of yeah. it i mean that they just they were a microcosm of the country um and continue to be um, as they try to find a way, you know, and, and they did. And so maybe they, they are also kind of, a you know, an upbeat tale of what's possible. Well, they're also a kind of a microcosm of how to analyze anything in 2020. You know, the Cardinals are trying to figure out what was real, what was not, what was colored by COVID, what wasn't, what performances mattered, which ones should we shrug off? which right. players were performing at the top of their level, which ones were not close to it. How are we supposed to make decisions based off of this, this, you know, screwed up season? That sounds a lot like, you know, what every, what every business is doing, um, right. what every, you know, if you're, if you're trying to evaluate how your business performed this year, how are you not factoring in COVID and, and what to think about it and, and what employees were, 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 were marginalized because of the virus, which ones were, which ones stepped up at a time where they, I mean, all of these discussions the Cardinals are having can be applied to just about anything. So that's when I said, you know, when we started this thing and I will, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I'll say this, we said, you and I both said, this is not going to be some great distraction. This is not going to be some sweet release from COVID. And, and this is not going to be some alternate universe where it's baseball and no discussions of, of both the virus or the traumatic things that are happening in our country. It's going to be a, a, a little baseball version of all of it. And it was that, and it has been exactly that. And, and to that, I, I'll say that we tried to give people a heads up that it wasn't going to be this turn on the baseball game and not be reminded by what's going on in the world. It was more oftentimes a a reminder of of what everybody was trying to figure out a way through. Exactly. Yeah. So, Let's uh, let's close on an upbeat note. Something from this year that didn't crack the list, but was still a, a moment of either joy in baseball or personal joy. I know on on Twitter, Benjamin Hockman suggested that it won't make the list, but the time that Fred Bird was doing a painting in the stands, uh, in the empty empty stands, and Harrison Bader hit a home run that hit the painting, or. Annie Rogers of MLB.com, you know, joked, she joked that the media TikTok that you all dragged us into, <laughs> that, that was uh, a moment of joy uh, worth remembering from 2020. I, I have one. Um, I'm going to make the leap that uh, you have a different one than mine. Um, so you can go first. Oh, goodness. Um the, when baseball was baseball, right? Those those are the moments that that were fun. That were fun for me, like just the weird oddities of of baseball, like Max Schrock pitching an inning. Um, yeah. I mean, just like just like the things where it was where it was fun to to um, 
to to remi- just be reminded this is a kid's game being played by well-paid adults. Um, and, yeah, and I'll also say this: I'll pick I'll, I'll pick one thing too, one one specific player who I got a lot of joy mm-hmm. from watching this season, uh, Kwang Young Kim. I, I thought I thought KK was awesome, and his story was awesome. Um, yeah, this, I'm really impressed by just, and I think I just think he's a really really fantastic individual to follow because he this guy comes over from 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 the kbo his dream has been to play in in major league baseball he you know takes the big leap some would say he's past his prime he gets to he gets to spring training and all of a sudden it's shut down to this virus he can't go home he doesn't know english um he's thrust in multiple his role changes he's the closer even though he has no business being the closer he works as a back to the rotation he gets this kidney problem he has to go to the hospital he comes back out and altogether, you know pitched pitched brilliantly didn't have the start that he wanted in the in the postseason but uh you know has really i think proven to be himself a, a really strong starter for this team moving forward and just the spirit that he displayed and the enthusiasm and the optimism despite some really crummy breaks I thought he was pretty inspiring player to be around, not around in terms of being in the clubhouse, but just being able to observe and write about this year. Yeah, that's that's. I'm glad you brought that up. the uh, The one that stands out for me actually came when we were around. I mean, it came almost a month before everything came to a halt, um, two three weeks, and it was the annual tournament of pitchers, the fundamental tournament where the pitchers, the Cardinals pitchers draft teams and then compete at various stages from bunting to PFP pitchers fielding practice to, you know, pop-ups, all types of stuff. They set up different uh, stages and it's, it's this, it's a day that's meant to create competition, but also really um, is sort of a relaxation day because of all the humor and all the fun that comes with it, starting right with the draft as they give each other difficulty as to who was drafted last, who was drafted first, who drafted friends, as opposed to guys who are actually good at fundamentals. Um, this year, you know, obviously Adam Wainwright takes this very seriously, usually has the one, one pick um, has gone with Alex Reyes, um, you know, as, as his pick and could not participate. And this seems like years ago, um, but he had been in that fender bender in the car accident. Oh my and God. So, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So he couldn't participate with his team. And so they were down their guy who had often won. And so the field was wide open, but out of that group or out of that wide open field emerged like a surprise contender. And because we could be back on the fields, we could be around, we could move from station to station and see it it became clear that it was dawning on the team that eventually won that they might actually win when, when they were drafted, it was almost as, I mean, they were, they were, they were getting jokes from peers about how poor they were going to do as a group. (laughs) Uh, And that was the group headed by the pitcher who uh, Mike Maddox nicknamed Han Solo. That is John Brebbia now a San Francisco giant after signing um, with them because the Cardinals did not tender him a contract. So he became a free agent. So he's now a giant now, but one of those moments that, you know, like that baseball can provide is him choosing guys who he thought had something to prove. This is what he did, including Daniel Ponce de Leon, who had had a very difficult tournament the previous year. Um, you know, he drafted these guys with something to prove, put this team together. And then when they were announcing the finalists, um, 
stood up and said, all right, my team's done. Right. Like volunteered it. Didn't expect to, to have a shot. And then is told that he was like the top seed. Then because he was the top seed, his team was the top seed. He got to decide whether to go first or second um, and chose the backward route to then have to, you know, come through. It just was, it was a fascinating moment, just how much fun he had stacking up challenge after challenge after challenge for this group just to heighten the entertainment value of it. And he even said that as we're walking off the field, he said, well, we've all seen the movie and that's what happened. It just, it was, it was, it was enjoyable to watch. It was a chance to see all the personalities in play that come with a really, um, you know, a, a baseball team as it finds something of its chemistry and it also was something that we completely lost after that was seeing that unscripted improvised joy um, because there weren't fans in the stands to see it. There wasn't access. Um, and eventually for the Cardinals, there weren't even drills like that because they had to keep their distance. And looking back on that story, it was like, okay, that that is something that was – missing and from 2020 but should not be missed about 2020 yeah i can't wait until we get a chance to be that close to the game again um it was such a newsworthy year for baseball the coverage of baseball was so important but the color of the coverage of baseball was was missing because we were so far removed from the game we did our best right to to be at the games (laughs) instead of watching on on tv to to, to ask, you know, creative questions or drill down on details in the Zooms. But the beauty of baseball and writing about it, as you know better than anyone, is, is the proximity to it. It's, it's the access and it's the, the chance to tell those stories and to, you know, see what happens on a backfield <laughs> at spring training. And hopefully soon we're, we're back there and can't, can't wait. And it brings me to kind of what all, one of our other posts, one of my other photograph moments, for this year we'll be sitting when we were at the spring training game. Um, the, the Cardinals were, I think, um, I think they were playing a grapefruit league game against the, the nationals. Is that right? Or the Astros, one of the two. And we were sitting there and I remember it was the day they closed the clubhouse because of the virus and people left and right were firing off opinions that this is Bush league and they can't close the clubhouse. And I, I remember thinking, well, to me, I don't know how closing the clubhouse makes the team any more protected from the virus when they're still doing all these other things. Right. But I didn't just want to have that new that that narrow take because I was reading more and more about this thing called COVID, and I, we were sitting there in the press box talking, and I, I remember us saying, I remember us talking about how this is a big deal, and this is going to be this is going to change things, and you know this is not the time to have some short-term take about how it's as frustrating to not be in the clubhouse. If, if not being in the clubhouse helps, then okay, we'll, we'll play ball. But, but this is a bigger conversation as to, can they be playing these games? Should these fans be in the stands here? Should, should, should these things be happening if this is where this is headed and, you know, look at where things went from, from there. So, you know, it, we missed the way it used to be. And I think we all are hoping that it can be back there as soon as possible. We're also willing to do what we have to do in order to keep everybody as safe as possible. But yeah, man, I, I miss the spontaneity. I miss the in-person communication. 
um, I miss that aspect. And baseball, the cool, the coolest thing about writing about baseball for me is the fact that you get a lot of that in a lot of these other sports where they've become they were socially distanced before COVID, you know, baseball still had some, some, some degree of intimacy to the coverage of it. And I hope, I hope that, that the players understand that that's good for the game. I was actually pleased to hear Scott Boris advocate for that um, in his comments at virtual winter meetings. And I hope that, I hope that that can, can get back to normal when we get back to normal. Yeah. And then we can record a podcast in person too. That'd be great. This is, we haven't, we haven't recorded a podcast in person since, We'll do it at spring training. If we go there, question mark? To start TV? the ninth season of the best podcast in baseball. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, I, you know, one of the things is 2020 ends with a lot more questions than answers. Um, and you just hope that the biggest stories of 2021 are those answers and health. And that's what I wish you for the holidays, friend. I, I wish you a happy and healthy holidays. I hope you get to spend it with uh, in the proximity of family. Um, as safe as you can be. And thank you so much for uh, joining me in this podcast and talking through the, the top stories. You can, your, your, your top 10 stories for the St. Louis will be running here in the final weeks of the year at sdltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. You can find the top five stories from the Cardinals 2020 season in the Christmas Day edition of the Post-Dispatch and, of course, available Christmas Eve on stltoday.com. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design. Get organized with Closets by Design of St. Louis. Update your closets, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BYDESIGN. 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Closet by Design of St. Louis. The official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball, which will be going into uh, season nine in year 2021. So this has been the 40th episode. Ben, thank you so much for joining me and talking through this. I think... We covered maybe the top 10 Cardinal stories and, and sort of wedged them into a uh, <laughs> topic conversation, right? No, this is good. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you told folks to grab a paper on Christmas because everyone's going to be disappointed that they didn't get that new that new truck for Christmas. <laughs> if they can, a consolation prize will be a great Cardinals uh, package in the, in the, in the post-dispatch. So, and a video. We a, had to record video. a $70,000 truck, but it's, but it's close. And a video. And a podcast. People can do rate my room on my office for that video. Hmm, super excited. Yeah. I think you you would get a solid room rating because there's so much back there, but I think you'd get docked for having like the precarious pile of books towering above your head that looks like it could come crashing down on you at any moment. Correct, but I like that vibe. <laughs> like if you if you sneeze like one time too loudly, you're gonna you're gonna be concussed by books. <laughs> I do I like the imagery though. It's like just that's kind of how you live your life. Just words hovering over your head. Yeah. No. Always. A precarious and a lot <laughs> of words right there looming. I mean, really, it it's the it's, it's my metaphor. symbolism of deadline. I love it. I love it. All right, man. Hey, happy right. holidays to you and your family, and uh, we'll catch up next year, I guess. Happy holidays, happy new year, happy new year to everybody else who's listening. Thank you so much for being part of the community that is the best podcast in baseball. Stay informed, stay tuned, stay healthy. We wish you all the best this holiday season.